I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to Why Are You Like This, a podcast devoted to finding out who we are and why we do the things we do. I'm your host, Ryan Andrews, with a gentle reminder to pop your prep, girls, because this is about to be a gay-ass episode. Today's guest kept me giggling all through quarantine. He's a writer, a comedian, and a CEO of Gay-Ass Enterprises. Please welcome to the mic, Eric Williams. Thank you, Ryan. Oh my God. You know, famously, you have these intros that all are just perfection, and that one did not disappoint. Oh, thank you so much. I just like to doodle in my notes section. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, Gay Ass Enterprises is correct. Yes, Incorporated, LLC, all the above. (laughs) Trademarked. Trademarked. How are you, babe? You know, I'm good. It's been an action-packed day, but um, I... I'm so happy to be here, truly. Action-packed day. It's 11 a.m. I know. I like had to wake up early, which is not a th- something I enjoy. And then I ended up like, I just, you know, went to the pharmacy. I had a little grocery store moment. I did, it's just like, you know, I just, I, it's just, this is not normal. I don't want anyone to think that this is normal, but it is today. It's, you know, once you get outside, you add on errand after errand, and all of a sudden you own a house upstate, and you don't know how you got there. I'm like, why do I live in Beacon? Um, I mean, truly, yeah. it just, it happens. <laughs> Although, I'm not going to ask why I live in Beacon. I'm going to say, God, it would be a dream to own a house in Beacon. Yes, please, universe, deliver. I would love to leave my apartment door in Harlem and somehow come back to my home in Beacon. <laughs> Can you imagine owning a home in Beacon and then just like strolling Main Street with your croissant mm-hmm. and then the next thing you know, you go home to Garden and there's a gorgeous chiseled man waiting ass up and you're just like, how did this happen? How did I get here? What a weird day. <laughs> God, it's only 11 a.m. It's only 11. I do love in those fantasies, like I'm a full on artisan. I'm like, yeah. And then I like whittle wood. Yeah. You change careers. You change identities <laughs> because it's a fantasy. <laughs> because it's not real. Uh, my therapist hates when I say that. What? Uh, you know. Look, we all sometimes need a fantasy to escape. I mean, God, therapy. I, I yeah, I could talk for hours about therapy alone. <laughs> well, Eric, let's let's get rolling. Let's just get chit chatting about you. Where are you from? I'm from St. Louis, Mo. St. Louis. I actually always get dragged because on my podcast, I 
talk, of course, talk about where I'm from. And I usually say Missouri because I don't know. I used to like tell people St. Louis and they'd be like, oh, um, Minnesota. I'm like, man, that's Missouri. Um, but it also, I think the narrative arc of like being from Missouri sounds more dramatic, but St. Louis is, you know, can be considered metropolitan. And, um, but yeah, I'm from like the suburbs of St. Louis and, uh, yes, gays a day is long living in New York City now. Love that. Live, laugh, love that. I went to school with many a St. Louis person. I went to school in Decatur, Illinois at good old Milliken University. So I've been in and out of your hometown quite a bit. Oh, wow. 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 I think I either auditioned there or whatever it was. I definitely, and I know like, a, but we have so many mutual friends. I'm sure of it. Oh, of course. Well, anytime I think of St. Louis, I think of the city museum. Ah. Oh. Classic, classic. The amount of times I've been stuck in those little tunnels. Oh my God. Last time I was there, let's say I was 24 and I got so high because that's what you do when you're an adult and you're there. And then I got stuck in the tunnels. (laughs) See? See? Taylor's all this time. I mean, I literally do not really have much of an adult relationship with a lot of the famous St. Louis things just because I, you know, like I obviously go to visit, but thinking about being high at the City Museum sounds in incredible and slightly like a nightmare but mostly incredible yeah it was 95 percent the best decision <laughs> i've ever made <laughs> i feel like that's the case for many things 95 percent amazing five percent the worst thing you've ever done absolutely so did you grow up performing i know that st louis is a big uh little kid performer town <laughs> a big little kid performer town is right i mean yeah i you know i did i like was in elementary school and like very into for whatever reason having zero talent i was very into the choir of it all and you know being in the plays but quite quite not good and um and then as i got a little older into like the middle school era i definitely was like became weirdly more serious about it started taking voice lessons and uh, you know, doing the Muni and all the the youth ensembles, and um, but I was actually thinking about this one because, of course, your podcast is. I love the I love the conceit of it, the concept of it. It's like I remember hearing in literally fifth grade in my elementary school that some alum of the elementary school had gone to NYU Tisch oh. Cap Twenty One for act for musical theater, and I was like, well. That sounds great. And everyone was so excited about her doing this. And I was like, well, I guess that's what I'm going to do. And then for the rest of my adolescence, I was like striving to go to Cap 21 at NYU Tisch. I love the idea of a elementary school alum. <laughs> like they're, they're like, we shaped this person. I'm like the last time we saw them, they were 10. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like they graduated, you know, all of a decade ago. I mean, like not that long, but yeah, they graduated so long ago. And yet they were like putting her face on the wall and like, and like, the funny thing, the irony about all this is that my elementary school was actually like incredible. It was like down in the city. It was not that far from the city museum. The city museum architect and owner, actually his children went to the school. And so he designed things for the playground. So there were things from like the city museum-esque design that were in this playground. And um, it was a very woke, diverse, there were like same-sex parents at the time, which I didn't really realize was happening, but like it was really, really cool. And then, of course, my high school was the very like white, uh, straight, preppy, tough place to be. So, no shade to be given to my elementary school. I like putting that to the universe. But that being said, I definitely, for whatever reason, was indoctrinated with that musical theater going to New York mentality, and ended up kind of doing that. I mean, in, in a, the short version, is I kind of did that, but um. Yeah, did did a lot of the theater and then auditioned for tons of musical theater colleges and 
ended up going to school for acting and don't really do a ton of musical theater anymore, but it's definitely a, a big part of my life and my past. I do love that shift that happens between like 13, 14, when you, at least for me, when you decide that you're going to be a professional actor and like all oh. of a sudden things are like way more extreme to you than like the other person who's also doing the musical next to you who's just doing this for fun. It's just such a devastating blow to be the person that's like, I'm playing, you know, ensemble number 48 in a cast of 72. And yet I decide that this is going to be how I'm going to make my living for the rest. And like it, and I understand it, but also it's so deeply chaotic to allow a 17 year old child to decide that they want to go to a theater program. I mean, I, on my podcast, Joe Castle Baker famously said that BFA program should be against the law. It's like, it's not, it's just, it's it's so, I think, irresponsible to let someone that young decide that and without really knowing the reality of it. Yeah, I truly believe that your undergrad should still just be general studies. Absolutely. The fact that I, maybe the last time I took a math class, which I also firmly believe adults don't do math, but no, uh, was I was 17, maybe, last time I did math. I'm now right. 29. That's That's a big gap, babes. Exactly, babe. Spice. <laughs> yeah, no, we got way too intense about it. Uh, I got in trouble for what we would now call bullying um, as a kid. <laughs> Wait, you were bullying someone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the opposite. I was, uh, I was straight. So at the time, Ooh. so I wasn't gay bullied. Um, you were the gay bully, but the closet of gay bully. Wait, so who would you bully and why? So do you remember the hit show, You're the One That I Want, where they searched for Sandy and Danny on Greece? Absolutely. So I was obsessed with it, with my two other good friends who, one was male, one was female. This is only important to the story. And on the show, they all famously wore black t-shirts that had like, a D on it if you wanted to be Danny with a question mark and it had like your color or an S if you wanted to be Sandy. So our high school had also decided that they were going to do Greece oh. and us three friends made shirts uh, where my friend Trevor and I had shirts that had a D on it for Danny and her friend Sammy had an S on it for Sandy and we wore them to auditions. Now, Sammy is the sweetest person in the in the world, and I truly believe is a casualty in this story. But when you look at it, we rolled up to our auditions wearing shirts that said, we are your only choices for Danny or Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> and so then what ended, who got cast? Well, I did not get... Well, Trevor and Sammy got Danny and Sandy, and I got the hit role, Duty. So technically it still applies to the D. So bullying works. Hey, you know, bullying works, but also I will say that the universe listened and a little misconstrued the message, but did deliver. And let us be very clear that Duty is an incredible role and some might argue a little more fun than Danny Zuko. I mean, like, I get it. He's like, has some fun songs and gets to be the love and or like the, the main person. But Duty's like giving me C, 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 right? Isn't that him? Yeah, that's him. I mean, it's like those magic changes. My heart arranges. You get a little rock star moment, maybe a couple punch lines of it all. I mean, I do think that the unsung hero of Greece is Duty. Right? Although, in addition to, of course, Rizzo and Marty. And who does Marty sing Mooning with? Uh, Roger. Roger? That's a good song. That's a good song. That's a good time. I mean, 
Greece is insane. I don't know why we let high schoolers do it. No, I saw it actually at, speaking of St. Louis, I saw it at the Muni when I was quite young. My dad took me and I don't think he knew what the, all the jokes about, like the original stage version is like real sexy, real sexual. Oh yeah. I think I had to ask my dad what a condom was. I mean, like I was like this, like this little show was teaching me basically about penetration. I was like, what? I thought it was at a little family event outdoors. Turns (laughs) out full on sex ed. Well, it could be a little family event outdoors. I'm not going to shame anybody for how they make a baby. <laughs> we will not shame incest on this podcast. <laughs> Let gay cousins kiss. Um. <laughs> That's the next gay right. <laughs> Siblings fucking. Let's take to the street. <laughs> it's how the, it's how you learn. God, this is this is it. This is how my my podcast gets canceled, and I'm glad to go down in a blaze of glory with you. And then you have to title this episode "Gay Incest," and people will have no idea why. <laughs> They'll be like, "What? Okay, a trigger warning." Um, <laughs> okay, trigger warning. We talk about incest between homosexuals. <laughs> so, uh, when you went to high school, it, it sounds like it was a little bit more rigid than your free flowing elementary school. Yeah, I mean, definitely socially rigid. It was like it, it, it. There wasn't like the the cool kids and the nerds when it came to like theater versus sports, but it was more like theater. There was a lot of people that did theater, and it was you know the shows were big and and fun. But I think like if you didn't act very straight and preppy, that's where the problems came. And so I, you know, a lot of people were. I have my girl allies who I love and appreciate so deeply but i had my share of traumatic moments of yes being bullied but also just being othered in a way that was so terrible i mean i like my mom for whatever reason loves to bring up this very traumatic story where i she was out of town with my dad and i was pantsed in front of many people like a lot of people and I was so upset by it that I like ran to the bathroom and I hid in the bathroom and like called the babysitter that was watching us like come pick me up ASAP. And I'm like weeping and I'm hiding in the bathroom stall. And it it was, and of course, like one of the, I think the like the biggest main bullies was there, a part of it. And I just, things like that would happen where I would get picked on in a way that it wasn't necessarily gay bashing, but I knew that I was being picked on because I was different. Yeah. And now you're an exhibitionist, so jokes on them. Jokes on them. I fuck my cousin in, in, in bathrooms <laughs> weekly. Oh, God. Being a kid is so horrible. I I really do think about it often. Just like, it's so... There was some video posted of... I don't even know the context, but it was like zooming in on this kid that's standing alone at this like outdoor pool party. And I was like, gosh, it really... Obviously, being an adult can really suck and be very hard. But I argue that the ages of like 11 to 17 could, and you could probably narrow that down to like 12 to 16, are like probably the worst years ever. Yeah, because you you have like this surge of like emotions. You get to learn that you can be a bitch. It's weird. You like know that you're you like all of a sudden know that like teachers aren't superheroes and you can kind of be mean to them without like any repercussion. It's like this yes. weird setup of like, <laughs> let's see how awful you can be to everyone. 
Including your parents. I think you also realize that your parents aren't always correct. Mm -hmm. They're not always right. And I remember that awakening of like, wait a minute, I think I just got bad advice from my parents. Like, it was so shocking to realize that. And also, let's be frank, I think people hate teenagers. Like, because teenagers are, can be really loud and obnoxious and like... I mean, I was walking down the street this morning and some, and this was not a teenager, but this young girl was like with her mom. And you know how kids don't have spatial awareness? I mean, this girl like basically ran straight into me as we like did the whole like crisscross who was going to go where. And I was like, you know, girly, I'm just going to stand stationary and let you have your truth and like make your S-shaped walk across this sidewalk. I mean, I don't know if you know, in a scary movie... Gosh, is it two or one? With It's Marissa Jarrett Winokur. It's one of my favorite cameos in any movie of all time. But it's where she, she's in the garage and the killer. It's just Marissa Jarrett Winokur who has like famously Tracy Turnbad from Hairspray on Broadway. Tony Award winner. Tony Award winner. She is grabbing a beer and she's like, keeps hearing things. She's like, oh, horsey, you scared me. And there's like a horse in the corner. Oh, kitty, you scared me too. And of course the killer is there and she's trying to escape and she puts her head through the garage door and the garage door opens and she's stuck in it and of course she dies. <laughs> However, she does like a crisscross like trying to get away from the killer and I felt like this young girl this morning was doing that to me. Just like fully chaotically going to either side of the sidewalk trying to dodge me. And I was like, normally <laughs> you walk on one side, friend, and I'm going to walk on the other. But it was like, she didn't know up from down, left from night, from right. And it's just because she's a literal child and I can't fault her, but I can identify with it being a horrible age. Yeah, I can definitely be annoyed. I can't give her fault for sure. Exactly, exactly. So when did you realize that you were hilarious? <laughs> I, gosh, I, it's, oy, oy, oy. I think I, um, you know what it is? I think I actually, when I was really young, and I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge of knowing how to be self-conscious and insecure. So I think I had an early moment where I would pretend to be like a news anchor and be very silly at like literally seven or eight years old. And then when I got older into those really tough years, I think I kind of disappeared in some ways in hiding some of that part of me. And then it sort of reemerged at the end of high school and I realized I could harness it for good or for power or for whatever it was. And so um, I think, you know, like famously, I had this voice teacher who was very intense. And I was actually listening to your episode with Lily Torre, who I love. Mm. And it's such a great episode, P.S. If you listen, if you have not listened. But she was talking about her intense you know, violin teacher and how it kind of sucked the joy out of things. I had a singing teacher that was an amazing teacher and like really amazing person, but very, very intense. And I would not show her my funny side or my silly side in any way because I wanted to be such a serious student. And so she said senior year, because I was in, I forget what show it was, but I did a show where I was like, you know, I had a comedic part and she was like basically mad that I hadn't told her that I was funny and that I could do that because like everything we'd worked on was very serious and pretty much very not me. And, um, Part of my excuse, which I of course wasn't strong enough to say, was like because you scared the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. Like, like I had, I just, I didn't feel safe to be that way. But I think from that moment on, and especially when I went to college, I kind of realized like where my strengths lie. Because look, I am not going to be playing, you know, Macbeth and Macbeth. Like I'm not. That's just not the journey. So I, especially in college, really leaned in and. Um, 
have realized that that's just kind of, that's my way in to this world. I love that. It's just, I mean, we also, I think, came up in a very strange time in musical theater. And I think there was this like real push for everyone to sound the same, the way they sang. Mm. It's the very, the like, hey, come with me. And then you like Mm. fly away. And to venture out of that seemed really scary to me when I was in high school going into college because like I had, you know, decided that I was serious about this and I was going to do it and I was going to audition for these BFA programs. And the only way I was seeing these schools or getting any kind of indication of what I wanted to, where I wanted to go um, was through YouTube. So mostly I was just watching the UMish kids do that. See, Oh, that takes me back. I mean, I could quote and reference dozens of those videos. I mean, yeah, they really shaped a generation. Unfortunately, I'm not proud to say that the 19-year-old students at the University of Michigan had that much power over us, but they really did. I mean, my voice teacher had a student go to Michigan for musical theater. And she was like, I think you can get in. I think you're, I think you could go there. And I, of course I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to go. I'm going to get in. It's going to happen. And I flipped there for my audition and it was, it's still to this day. I've auditioned for so many things that like, of course were scary, but this was to this day, the scariest audition I've ever been a part of. You have to play piano, you do the ballet thing. You like, it's just like such an intense weekend. And, um, I did not do great. I did not get in and I was crushed, but, I mean, of course, it all happened for a reason. But yeah, UMish was like the pinnacle. Well, it was like the first time I was seeing anybody relatively our age doing this at... And I don't know if I have like Gen Z listeners, but YouTube was new. So (laughs) the videos had an air of being like professional. It wasn't like I filmed this in my college recital now where you're like, okay, cool, girl. It was very... I don't know, aspirational for me. So I think it truly shaped a a small generation of musical theater actors who are now finding ways to highlight their, the things that make them actually special and the way they sound naturally. Yes. Versus fitting into the mold of what they thought was the only route. Yeah. I think that's really spot on because when you're young, you don't realize that there are different, roads you can take that can also lead to different destinations but still have still in the same world and um it's really i think empowering for many people to realize when they're getting older of what a different route i mean honestly for me like i in a way i'm I'm doing that i i really thought for a while i was only going to do musical theater and then i went to college only for acting and i was like musical theater i'm done for i'm gonna do shakespeare and Chekhov for the rest of my life and be a ball and it's like of course i graduated I was auditioning in nothing. I was getting nothing in that world because, like, hey, like, what would a freshly graduated, you know, tall otter get on like a random Shakespeare play around? Like, it just wouldn't happen. And so I ended up auditioning, of course, for musical theater. And then I did that for a few years where I was like, I guess I'm only musical theater. And I had some amazing experiences. I had some really, like, I did it, like, did shows that I, really hated and it was honestly one of the shows that I really hated (laughs) that got me closer to thinking about other things and the long story short is that I 
had an audition where it was just, I really felt like I wasn't being seen or respected in any way. And I realized that because I have humor and whatever it is and something unique about me, I have more to offer than standing in a room and singing four seconds of a song. That's just not it. And I immediately enrolled in a commercial acting class. And that opened the door for me to do more comedy stuff and commercials and the TV film stuff. And, and then the podcast was, is, you know, in the past year. And I think we're always evolving as people. And it's, it's the hardest thing, the worst thing you can do, I think, is only pigeonhole yourself. And if it's not working, to continue to do the same thing versus letting yourself evolve. And, you know, I've talked about my husband on my podcast. He, we met at an audition, Aww. standing in line. And... We both pursued it for the first few years of us dating, and he ended up taking a different path, and now he's doing incredibly well. And it's like so. I think it's so inspiring, and I never want people to to ever picture those stories as a failure or um, or you know quitting or anything like that because it's truly not. It is just evolution, and he is so successful and the you know better version of himself and so valued and i think that it's really important to allow yourself to be okay with that yeah we love we love an evolution mm. we love marrying somebody who's successful mm. um i have to say there's not a lot of like pandemic content that i truly enjoyed um, your little videos cracked my shit up because I think they could have existed without it. It just like somehow highlighted it. The Real Housewives of the Apartment, I think, is great. Um, I thank was just you. scrolling through this morning, just having another giggle. That is so nice. I mean, thank you. I, you know, it, what has really been a part of my journey is I have a collaborator, Esther Steinberg, who's an amazing comedian. And we did a show right before the pandemic, which was a really big deal for me because it was, it was a, a comedy show that we wrote ourselves. It was, it was also like a theater show as well. It was a mix between stand-up and, and theater. And we, the first time we did it, I was freaking out, out of nerves and just like literally developed stomach problems because I was so nervous to do this original show. That was a really crazy idea. The idea, it was called Esther and Eric's One Woman Show. And... <laughs> We basically were two, you know, best frenemies who had both of our one-person shows, but the venue double booked us, and we show up to do the show at the exact same time, and so we have to navigate, you know, being scheduled to do our one-person show at this on the same stage at the same time, and of course, it becomes like we do the shows together, but it reveals things about our friendship, and it's it ended up being really amazing, and we got to do it in the New York Comedy Festival, and we got to do it in L.A. and um, but I collaborated with her for many, many years. And when the pandemic hit, we had really no way to collaborate with each other. And I was having some imposter syndrome about being able to do things on my own. And things were so dire when I was so unemployed and had nothing, you know, my auditions had stopped that I was like, I need to be creative and, and make these things that I want to make. And it became a huge exercise in just like trying to allow myself to to make things and I, you know, I, I'm so happy you, you you like them because it, you know, the the first one I did was the it was at home news where I was just talking about the news happening in my apartment and uh, was able to like learn how to edit pretty well with a green screen and blah blah blah. And then the Real Housewives thing came up and um and then I did those that's a gay ass movie videos where I was you know breaking down why movies are gay as hell and that led to my the podcast and so it 
I learned that allowing yourself to create and sometimes fail and just take risks will actually, you know, further your your journey into making more things and doing more things that actually feed you. And I still talk about it almost every week in therapy about getting out of my own way and the imposter syndrome of it all. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm so glad that you liked it, and I and I just I hope to continue to just make very silly things like that. Oh, I just love a good silly. I love a. Yeah, smart, silly. I love a dumb, silly. I think I'm pretty dumb. I think I'm. I th- I don't. You know, I I love a dumb. Like I mean, I literally reference uh, a scary movie too. Like that, I think is very dumb. That's one of your favorite films of all time. It really is. I mean, I I grew up with I think watching a lot of really dumb things like the hot chick with Rob Schneider, Rachel McAdams, <laughs> Anna Ferris. Like it could not be dumber. And like maybe like you know there's like the I think New York Magazine has that whole map of like highbrow versus lowbrow versus like whatever. I feel like maybe a lot of the main things like tend to air towards lowbrow and silly, but it is what it is, Santa. Like I I love I love a really silly humor that also speaks to a deeper truth and reveals that you are not alone and blah blah blah. But I mean, silly is fun. Silly is fun. There's just it's just like a nice release. Yeah. I Nothing makes me feel better than making people laugh, which is hilarious because for a really long time, I just kind of fought against that. Mm. Like I always knew that I, if we're like out hanging out out on the town or maybe playing Parcheesi at your parents' house, I always knew that I had the ability to like A, be the star and B, make sure everybody was laughing. But I didn't really think about capitalizing on that until like a few years ago. (laughs) Like I just thought it was something that I was like, I'm really funny off the cuff or like if somebody else makes something for me, then I can be funny. And uh, it wasn't until like two years ago, three years ago where I started making my own shit and realizing that like, you just kind of have to focus for a little bit, Ryan, but you can make things. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's so tough. It's, I think it's one of the most vulnerable, scary things to, create the thing that makes people laugh or that people engage with and then run the risk of either people not liking it or not making sense. And, you know, someone was talking to me about Bo Burnham's special that just came out on Netflix Mm -hmm. that um, I finally watched last night. But there was an article that said, I think, that his sensibility... I'm going to mess it up, but it was basically like that his abilities finally now match his taste and his and his vision because i think when you're first creating things you a lot of your instincts are there but you have to develop it and you can't develop it unless you do it and make things that are maybe just okay into really good into really great into amazing but for me i think like just my background and the way my brain works is i i get very afraid to fail and if I stop myself from making a thing because I'm afraid of it being bad, then you can't find out what it is to, in order to improve upon it and then make it better. So I think what you're saying makes so much sense. And I very much identify with that of recently realizing that we do have what it takes, but a huge part of it is just believing that you do and then going for it and making it. And like knowing that drafts exist, crazy, yeah. crazy, blew my mind. <laughs> drafts exist and drafts are hard and first drafts are bad and gosh i mean yeah it's there's so much there but drafts are real people well eric you're a silly man 
You love dumb things. You've been very busy this morning, and you're from the booming metropolis of St. Louis. And I have to ask you the question of the pod, why are you like this? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there. Ever dream of making your own podcast? Let me tell you a little bit about Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. First, it's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Why are you like this? Ryan, you know, I was thinking about this and I've realized there's a trio that goes together of reasons. Mm. The trio is mm-hmm. I'm gay, mm. I'm Jewish, ah. and I'm a middle child. Ah, yes. I'm gay, so I, you know, tried to be straight and pretended I was straight for so long. So that's performance. I mean, gays are, are, are mm-hmm. tend to perform in one way or another. As a Jew, I am neurotic, a perfectionist, an overthinker, always achieving for like a level of success that society deems appropriate. And as a middle child, I've always needed the attention and the feeling of being seen and understood and not just a part of a collective pack, but as my own person. I think it's those three things that made me the neurotic, 
overthinking, silly performer that I am. Uh, what a succinct answer. What a nice arc. Thank that you, definitely Ryan. felt like it went through drafts. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love when people can just like boil it down because often if I'm asked this question, I just kind of like stare at whatever book is in front of me and like I'm currently looking at Sarah Rule's Dead Man's Cell Phone. Mm. And I'd be like, well, I got a cell phone when I was 13 and it cell changed phone. my world. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're just choosing things around the room. Uh, yeah. Plants. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think the reason I was able to succinctly figure that out is probably because I, I think my podcast in a way is different, but slightly similar for just examining uh, the things that inspired us or made us who we are. And so I think like, and also just as performers, I think I, you know, have had a lot of thinking into my past. And um, I think that probably led to my drafts being, you know, not as intense as maybe uh, people in different worlds. But yeah, I, there's just a constant struggle with me with my inner saboteurs, as RuPaul says. I mean, I just, there's, it's, I talk about this sometimes where I think some performers, even if there's not as much talent as other people, if they are able to get out of their own head and be a confident version of themselves that believes in themselves more than anyone else, that can be the ticket, you know? Like, mm-hmm. they could not have a ton of talent, but they're just like, I'm the shit, and you are all lucky to see me. And you know what? I had this idea. I don't know if, you know, it, it's it's perfect and it's going to make sense, and I'm just going to continue to work on it and put it out into the world. And if when people continue to, to do that, it's really an asset in the industry specifically. But when you come from the world that I come from, which is a little more of just like, the overthinking of it all, I think it it can be really tough to get past that. And I work diligently every single day to try to not censor myself. And because time and time again, I found that if you put the thing out there, a lot of the time it, it will be understood and people will enjoy it. But sometimes people won't and it will quote unquote fail. But like the world will keep on spinning. Mm-hmm. And I have to remind myself that all the time because it is, as we said, so scary to put things out. I mean, I need like, I think because I'm on your amazing podcast, I keep just thinking about like the, the, the journey of being on, of creating a podcast. And I, when I first put mine out, it was a real big mind fuck for me. I just like, I would drive Matt crazy. I would talk about it in therapy every single week. I was just like perpetually assuming that it would be bad and no one would like it. And I would be like publicly shamed for doing it. And I had had to get past that. And it's been a huge lesson. And I'm luckily have learned a lot and moved past that part of it. But it is a very tough thing to do in in any sort of creative uh, life, hobby, industry. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, you're not alone in... um overthinking each podcast episode as it comes out as it's launching. I think that's just kind of par for the course, Mm. um, especially when you are in charge of it all yourself. Um, It definitely, you're like, I worked such and such amount of hours on this and 10 people listened? Cool. Um, But yeah, I think you touch on something that I'm really, really trying to bring through into my, I guess, next chapter of creative journey, which is um, 
a lot of self-delusion gets you really far in this industry. Yes. And it's like, I am overly confident in a lot of aspects of my life. I know that I am stunning to look at and I know that I'm very talented. Yes. So that's fine. Uh, But the next part is giving that same uh, delusion to my endeavors. And I know that the word delusion gets a lot of uh, shit and I'm not a dictionary. So I don't know if this is the correct definition, but for me, it just, it just means that that feeling you described of being like, no, this is, this is just good. I don't have any facts to tell you why it is. I don't have any like data. I don't need it, but I do know that this is good and I'm going to put it out in the world. And uh, what happens after that is not mine. It's no longer mine once I'm sharing it. Yeah, I think that's the important thing that I, the trap I fall into sometimes is trying to quantify what proves to me that it is good, whether it's the amount of downloads or listens or shares, or I sometimes obsess over those things because it is concrete information that will like soothe my critics to be like, see, it actually is good. This amount of people watched it or whatever. And the thing you have to do though is not rely on that. And I'm really preaching to myself here because it's, if you are proud of it and think it's good, or if you learn something making it, or if it tickles you in any way, it is good. And like you just said, it's like you have to put it out and release it. And I think that's one of the hardest things to do. Like when I'm not proud to admit this, but you know, Ryan, you're such a good host. I feel like I'm in such a safe space. But I like when I first was putting out these videos, especially at the beginning of the pandemic and I would obsess over views and likes and I would drive Matt up the fucking wall. I would be like, no one's watching it. This is bad. I'm, I can't believe I, you know what? And he would have to tell me over and over again, shut the fuck up. Like, I mean, like very, like very nicer ways. Just be like, you need to calm down, put your phone away or do something. I mean, focus on something else. And like, I, you know, I'll make this a very short story. Cause I, it, it, it brought up a fight between me and Matt where I had a TikTok video go bad viral, which means like, I was like, I don't know what that means. What is TikTok? Yeah. Well, you're like, first question, TikTok. Um, I put up this video that was a really silly joke during the election era. And mm. it is me and Matt walking down a street in St. Louis when we were visiting my parents and it's us holding hands. And the caption is like husbands walk through Trump, a Trump neighborhood. It's six seconds long. It's me looking around, holding Matt's hand going, anyone got a problem? That's the entire video. That's the video. (laughs) It got, within the first day, like, I don't remember, 10 or 20,000 views, whatever it was. And then it was like, and some people thought it was funny, but then quickly things started to emerge where it was going into Trump TikTok. And it very quickly went viral in Trump TikTok where every single comment was saying what an idiot I was, how Trump was the most pro-LGBT president we've ever had, how I should go kill myself, I'm a fucking asshole, how... And then people started to duet the video where they, of course, have the video play and then they're next to my video and putting their own spin on it. People would go to Trump rallies and like and, and be like, do you have a problem? No. Do you have a problem? And like these people had millions of followers. And so I was getting every day for two months, I was getting hate messages and comments. And I ended up like two or three months in uh, deleting the video finally. And all this to say, the first 
36 hours this was happening, yeah, 48 hours it was happening, I was reading every comment, not realizing how bad viral it had been going. And I it started to really affect me where I got depressed and then started, a, not joking, ask myself, wait, is Trump a good president? I was like getting brainwashed from all this, this hate I was getting. And Matt was watching me obsess over it. And he started to get really frustrated because I was not taking the cue from the universe to either delete the app for a minute, put my phone, whatever it was. And it was a very big lesson in people sometimes will take your stuff into a different direction or, and, or just take it, you know, not for face value and you can't control that. And it is not a personal, it does not define your worth or your value on this planet or what you have to say. And it was a very good lesson because if anything has happened like that in a smaller scale, I've learned how to react and move forward. But it is obviously great to be in a relationship at times, but also when you lean on someone and then drive them crazy with it, it really holds the mirror up to how fucking nuts I am. And so I've really had to deal with that. Well, that, I mean, there are a couple things. One, the internet is a fucking wasteland. But mm-hmm. two, um, there wasn't anything else going on. What else were you supposed to do besides look at your phone? Right. Three, um, friend of the pod, maybe Burke, um, they do like kind of educational slash funny videos on TikTok um, about gender mm-hmm. and sexuality. And when they were on the pod, uh, they were saying similar experiences where people will just like, take the video that may be made and run with it in a totally opposite direction. And the way maybe has kind of grappled with it is one, they are a TikTok creator. So any engagement does actually give them some form of money, but also it's just like bringing the video to a bunch of other people. So it's kind of doing its own thing. It's like, Wait, that is so interesting you say that because I put a video up a few days ago that I instinctively knew was going to be a little controversial, but not in a way that I was nervous about. It was, I had seen an article that the American Red Cross was having a blood shortage and I was like, hmm, well, it would be nice if I was legally allowed to donate blood. Uh, and so I made a video that was, again, very short where it's like the American Red Cross, you know, colon, there's a blood shortage, we need blood. And then it cuts to me and it's me lip syncing the quote from Bridesmaids, just going, "Oh, you do, <laughs> oh." And like, I know I never do those lip sync videos because it's just not. I just don't. It's just not my thing. But uh, I put it up, and it pretty quickly started to get views. And then, of course, as expected, the comments became either wow, that's so fucked up, oh my gosh. Or, well, you know what, actually, there are much higher rates of HIV amongst gay men, and blah, blah, blah. And it became very big fights in the comments about, you know, well, you're a homophobe. I mean, like, it, and it, and I had that same thought that you just said of, like, you know, at least at this video, it's not them piling on that I'm an asshole. It's just them, like, fighting with each other. And, like, if it started a conversation, that's great. But I think you're right that sometimes those sort of controversial or comment fights <laughs> does bring it to more people. And it, it's not always the worst thing. I do think I figured out your problem, though. Oh, tell me. Um, you just have to do long-form content, babe. No more six-second videos. 
The next time I make a six second video, I'm gonna be like, you know what? I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna, you know, lengthen her. I'm just gonna lean her in and just, I mean, maybe you're right. The six seconds are where it's getting me. But then sometimes those are like the ones that are like the most succinct, just like, and people don't have time to scroll away. Like I put up a video last night. I was like, oh, this is, I think this is funny. And it has like four and a half views. I'm like, what? I just, you can't, you really cannot control how the internet's gonna react to anything. It's insane. I mean, as the Ernest Hemingway of gay comedy, um, I love a short declarative sentence. So mm. for me, six seconds sounds great in any activity. But uh, <laughs> it seems for you in your life, you might want to push to 10. I don't know. I'm going to really strive for the 10. Really strive for the 10. <laughs> really push for it. Well, Eric, as we get towards the end of our episode here, I ask this of all my guests, but do you have any questions for me? My question for you is how do you put your podcast out just knowing that the universe will take care of it and you did a good job. Do you do anything? Um, I'm getting better at it. And I think it's just by the sheer number of episodes that I have. Um, and I've also had this experience where episodes that I think will take off don't mm. and episodes that I think might just be for me and my friends that I interviewed do. So mm. I've definitely realized I have no control over it, um, which is maddening. I think as long as I continue to interview people that I find interesting and as long as I want to know why they are the way they are, it'll naturally be good. As long as I stick to that, then I think I'm good with the podcast. Once I start venturing out of that, once it starts getting into like, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, but I don't mm. actually find the person interesting mm. kind of situations, then I think I'll get in in trouble and I don't think that the quality will be what I had envisioned for the podcast, if that I makes love sense. that, yes. I mean, I think it's so good to just follow what is piquing your interest and what you're actually passionate about and then the rest will follow after versus I think trapping ourselves into fitting into a certain thing that you deem as you know just the thing to do or the thing that'll make it big or whatever um i do also out of curiosity want to ask you do you like in the next few years what what is a dream that you would want to come true for you and it could be professional it could be romantic it can be geographic like what is there anything in the next like three four years that you would love to see come true uh yeah in three four years i think it'd be nice to get my first boyfriend i think that would just be something to like knock off the list mm. um and then I really like doing this. I really enjoy it. I think it's a really good mix of all the things that make me special. And I would like to grow it into some sort of talk showy thing. Yes, I love that. Do you, um, when you think about having a boyfriend, is there not in, not really like, I mean, it could be physical, but also is there any sort of like energy that you gravitate towards in like a dating capacity of like you know do you like more of an introverted person or are you more or like do you want to be with someone that's also the life of the party um well i think there's a couple things that will have to change in order for me to start looking at things in relationship standpoints um for a long time i've really haven't looked for a companion i'm totally fine doing things the way i do them mm -hmm. um 
And if a boy comes around, it's mostly for physical. But if I'm looking for like a partner, I really like, I like someone who's funnier than me, but isn't as loud as me. Mm. And I think that's really going to be the ticket. I mean, of course, be like stable and I would like to be able to rely on you as I would like you to be able to rely on me. But if I'm talking about like me and my partner come into a party, I want us to be the couple that everyone's like, oh, they're coming. It's going to be fine. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Doesn't that sound nice? Oh, I mean, honestly, I think if you put it into the universe, then it will it will happen. I think it's like I've really, you know, I'm not very, very, very woo-woo, but I'm kind of woo-woo in that of like, the things you say and think and, you know, trying to think in positive ways will make them come true or at least help trigger the world around you to make them come true. And I think saying that you thinking about someone that you can walk into a party and people are like, hell yeah, the fun's here. Like I can totally see that for you. And I am excited to see that happen. I mean, it's as I think most people know in relationships or not, relationships are just so hard that, if at least you don't have a base level of being able to laugh with each other and have fun, then, you know, that makes it even harder. But I think like, I'm excited to see that happen for you. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, now it's recorded, so it's, it's out there. Hello. (laughs) Hello. And drop into the comments. If you think that you could be this man for me, come on, please. Anybody? Oh my gosh, Eric, I could talk to you for six or seven more hours. We, yeah. definitely, we definitely have to hang out. Um, oh my God, yes, please. Where where can the children find you? The children can find me on Instagram at Eric Wills, E-R-I-C-W-I-L-L-Z. I'm also there on t- Twitter and my TikTok is Eric Wills TT for TikTok. Um, and please listen to the podcast. That's a gay-ass podcast, um, of course, on all the platforms. We have an Instagram at gay-ass podcast. But um, yeah, I, funny enough that I'm actually this week uh, that we're recording the uh, Joel Kim Booster episode is coming out on Wednesday and he also went to Milliken, right? He did. Yes. He uh, smoked me out for the first time. See, look at this full circle. (laughs) So it's all, it's all happening the way it should. Oh my gosh. Yes. Listen to Eric's podcast. It's a hoot and holler. Um, Thank you again so much. This has been lovely. Thank you, Ryan. I so appreciate it. Truly. And until next time, y'all. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.